Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And I've never felt so alone in my whole life. You know, being at the hospital, my dad is potentially dying. I don't have an adult at all. And that night in the hospital, I realized... You're the adult? I'm the adult. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. It's Violet Benson, your favorite meme queen and the big sis you didn't ask for but need. Welcome to Almost Adulting. Almost Adulting. Are you ready? Hey, besties, and welcome to a brand new Almost Adulting, the largest self-help podcast and movement, your number one destination for personal growth and mental health. I'm your big sister and your host, Violetta. Today, my special guest is my friend and fellow Jew, (laughs) Tara. Tara. Okay, I knew your name, but now you're like making me. Yeah. I tripped you up. Uh, Tara Schuster. Yes. <laughs> my, my good friend and fellow Jew, uh, Tara Schuster. And we recently connected because I was a fan of her book. And she has two books, actually. And today we'll be talking about both of them and about life. But a little bit about her. Tara, she's an accomplished playwriter, television executive, and best-selling author. Her first book, which I'm sure so many of you must have read by now, it's By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies. And we're going to cover that today. And if you haven't read it, trust me, you should. It sold over 250,000 copies. It's basically a book that is part memoir, part self-help guide, where she shares her own experiences and struggles in life, including issues with mental health, relationships, her career. And then she combines her personal stories with advice on topics like setting boundaries, practicing self-compassion, managing stress, building healthy relationships, which is basically everything we go through, which is why I think everyone should read that book. Also, she then wrote a second book, which is, how did I already forget? Sorry, no, I'm scared I'm going to say it wrong. Glow in the fucking dark, right? Yeah, sure is which we'll be discussing today as well. Full disclosure, you guys, right before, because I like to connect with my guests, um, and right before uh, Tara came over, we had a heart-to-heart on accident, because I was holding so much in, I started crying to her while we were speaking. So then I cried to her for 40 minutes about the conversation we're having. And then I had to reapply my under-eye makeup. As you know, I have eczema for my cat. I think I'm still a little off from that, but I'm doing my best to get into the interview. But that that was fun for me. Yeah. I mean, we're in a real space. Yeah. Like, we're really talking. We're really having a conversation. I'm good with it. Exactly. Anyway, the central message of her books or who she is basically as a person is, which is aligned so well with my podcast, it's all about self-empowerment, self-love, emphasizes that you are responsible for your own happiness and well-being. And the importance of then investing in yourself, prioritizing your self-care, making steps to create a more fulfilling and meaningful life. So let's start with the first book that you wrote that, yeah. you know, became such a huge hit, which is By the Fucking Lilies. Yeah. What made you come up with that title? Is there some significance behind lilies? Well, if I back up to just how I even got there, yeah. I grew up in 
a neglected, psychologically abusive household where things came to die. It was super unfun. As a childhood, I left my childhood with the central message is, I'm not worth anything. I'm valueless. So everything I got had to be external validation, like had to be grades, had to be go to the, go to an Ivy League college, like get the best job. I was working at Comedy Central. I like built myself up, built myself up status, like status was what was going to make me. But on the inside and like personally, I would go to Trader Joe's. I would see lilies in their like weird bucket of water and I'd be like, oh, I love lilies, you know, like how they open and they've got this like beautiful smell and they they would make my studio apartment just like, you know, like Light the Ritz. Up. Yeah, like amazing. But then I'd be like, no, they're too expensive. They're not for me. They're $6.99. If I buy these now and then they just die, like what a waste would that be? And then I'm going to be poor and then I'm going to be homeless and then I'm going to die. Yeah. Like there was no in-between <laughs> steps, like no friend. If I was buy like, the lilies, eventually yeah, I die. Yeah. <laughs> lilies to death. Yeah. Like, and nobody's going to help me. No friend's just going to be like, hey, why don't you sleep over here for a night? It was that doom spirally. Like that's what I lived in, a doom spiral. And as I was reparenting myself, which is what Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies is all about, is about giving yourself, owning your story, owning everything that happened to you, and then giving yourself the parenting you need. One day- I was like, fuck this for real. $6.99 means nothing. Like my life and happiness means everything. And so instead of doing what I usually did, which was take them out of their weird bucket, get really self-conscious and guilty, and then like put them next to pita chips and like pretend like I never touched anything at all. <laughs> like I didn't even take them back to the bucket. I just bought them. And it was like this huge moment where I was like, huh, I'm worth the lilies and my life is not destroyed. Being nice to myself actually is a good thing. I don't have to struggle through everything. Right. Because buying the lilies was more for yourself to feel good. And because you're putting yourself last, you just, yeah. you thought $6.99 was too expensive, yes. especially to spend only on yourself. Yeah. you didn't believe you were worth anything. I believed I was worth literally nothing and that I was a burden to everyone. Mm -hmm. And this, so this went across the board. Like uh, most of my genes had like holes in like the crotchal region and like I'd have to like walk weird. But I had a job. Like I was saving money. There was no reason for the sort of like debasement I was putting myself through. I, every time I would just think, well, I'm not worth it. And jeans are just going to rip again. And these flowers are just going to die. So like, why would I even bother? That's something that we do with ourselves often where we buy someone else a gift. We think yes. our friends deserve so much. We we cuss out our friends if they're still talking to their ex. We buy our friends nice gifts. We're always so thoughtful with our friends. And then we we never think twice about, maybe I should send myself flowers. Maybe yeah. I should send myself a gift because why would I do that for myself? I'm not- I'm not that, worth it. Not, that's stupid. That's yeah, that's so stupid. Narcissistic, no selfish. Right. Yeah. I'll just wait for someone to eventually do that. But why not start with yourself? So I like that you ended up having so much- importance and lilies became such a metaphor in your own life which yeah. makes sense and how that became the title of your book by the fucking lilies just do it for others <laughs> yeah. it can be by the fucking massage yeah by the fucking dinner for yourself going out finally instead of just staying in and only ordering domino's pizza or burger king even a side of guacamole yeah just buy yourself a it. fucking guacamole i know it's two dollars extra yeah. we know we know just buy do it, it. yes Exactly. I like that a lot. 
Why do you think your book ended up resonating with so many people? Before I wrote it, I had three words in front of my desk, which was honesty, compassion, and truth. And what I was really challenging myself to do is just tell the truth. Like, tell the truth. There's no reason to write a memoir if you're going to, like, put icing on it and try to look good. So I thought, I don't want to look good. I just want to look like me. I just want to be super, super honest. And so when you're honest like that, I think it gets at universal truths. You know, like I used to work at Comedy Central and I oversaw shows like Key and Peele and Keegan and Jordan actually taught me the the key to comedy, like their sketches is you articulate an idea that it was the it was at the tip of the audience's tongue. Like they thought that too, but they didn't have language for it. And that's why it like really resonates. So for me it was like I'm going to say all the things that people don't actually say, Mm -hmm. but I know that I'm not that special. Everyone else must be thinking this too to some degree. It's just not like uh, respectable to talk about it or we want to look better. And I was like, I don't give a fuck how I look. I have to tell the truth. It's killing me not to tell the truth. And so I, I think that's why people often say like, it's so raw or it felt like you were in my brain with me. I really did also, when I was writing it, imagine that the reader was sitting next to me and that I was talking to them. Right. Because even like, yeah. even the, the beginning of your book, you started in such a profound way, in a shocking way, where it starts with a potential suicide. It can throw the reader off, but it can also be so relatable, not in a way that every person has ever thought about it, but in a way that we've all had that really bad day and we all had those potential thoughts in the past. So you're right, for you to suddenly put that in words, what so many people have felt before that maybe didn't know how to say in words, you were able to articulate it so properly onto paper. And I mean, for me, that's definitely what grabbed my attention when I started to read the book. I was like, whoa. Did not expect her <laughs> to, you know. Page one. Be, well, because it goes, obviously you add in comedy, but it goes with being funny to to very serious topics, but you you turn them into a very lighthearted type of way. So it's easy to relate to it versus just, you know, being mortified to continue to read yeah. the book. Thank you. It's a big part of the whole thing. And what made it difficult to write was to make sure it was also funny. Yeah. So like to talk about suicidal ideation, but make it funny though, (laughs) you know, wasn't the easiest thing. But to your point, like I wanted this book to be for everyone. So you don't have to have the worst childhood ever. You didn't have to have a childhood even close to mine, but these universal feelings we all have by me giving the like absurd version, like the most heightened version, which just happened to be my life, it has all like all the gradients within it. So you can yeah. like hook in to whatever your experience was. Yeah, I like that. What was your favorite chapter from your book? This will sound like, this will sound narcissistic. I love all my babies the same. Mm. I think they're all great. One I'll say that needs to be talked about more is there's a chapter called When Life Hands You Lemons, Stick a Pen in It and Turn It Into a Bong. Mm-hmm. And it's so literary. It's all about how, you know, I had this really rough childhood and the way to get through it was I got addicted to weed at 15. And whoever is saying like, you can't get addicted to weed, you can and I was, you know, I couldn't function uh, without weed to sort of numb me out and put a smoke screen between me and my emotions. Mm -hmm. So by the time I was 25, I just had no idea how I felt 
about anything, like completely disconnected from my emotions. And I felt like I was, I don't know if anyone will relate to this, but like life was happening to me. Like I was in the passenger seat and life was like washing over me in a smoke cloud. And so writing that chapter just felt very freeing because I was kind of ashamed of it that like I wasted, I went to Brown. It's cost a lot of money that I paid off over a long ass time. And I was ashamed of how much of that education I just wasted, you know, being high. Honestly, I I really, really did. And so writing that chapter was very liberating in that I owned it. I was like, yes, that did happen. But I get DMs all the time from people who are like, oh my God, yeah, I'm low-key struggling with weed. I wish somebody would talk about it. So for that reason alone, like just getting the conversation started, I like that chapter. And you, we talked about this. You felt that the need to numb yourself with weed, numb your emotions, anything you were feeling because growing up. So when I was growing up, if first off, I was never talked to, I was talked at. So I was like constantly told by my mom, you're bad at math. You have dyslexia. There's something wrong with you. You're just not right. Never, how are you feeling? What do you like? You know, she'd tell me, you need to be a Nobel Prize winning scientist. You know, I'm like five. (laughs) I like enormous pressure to be successful at something I didn't even like. And with my dad, if I ever had an emotion, he would say, I can't handle you when you cry. You know that. Don't cry. I can't handle this. And so the message I received was, you can't have emotions. You can't have needs. You can't be who you are if you want to be loved. Mm. And it took a lot of unlearning and a lot of reparenting to get away from that. But the weed, it was like, by the way, my savior, it got me out of that house. It disconnected me from my emotions enough that I could leave get through college, like get through my life. So for that, actually kind of grateful, but past a certain point, it stopped me from knowing myself just the same way that if your parents and the people around you are constantly telling you, no, like, uh, it's bad when you cry. It's bad when you have emotion. I don't want to know, like, and have no interest in you. When people don't pay attention to you, that is one of the worst things a person could do to another person, just not to pay attention, especially if you're a kid. Mm -hmm. So for me, when the, the cloud of weed lifted, I was able to pay attention to my own emotions, to my own life. It was like, it was like the first step in getting in the driver's seat. What chapter from By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies was the hardest chapter for you to write? The hardest chapter to write was the chapter about my dad and and our relationship. He was not present for my childhood. Uh, Even if he was there, he would say to you now, I once asked him, hey, uh, it just felt like you weren't paying attention to me. This is like recently in the last few years. And he said, yeah, I never considered that you were there. It was very validating to have him say the truth I already knew. That you weren't delusional. I wasn't crazy. That it was happening. That it was Got real. It. it was super mm. validating, liberating. I felt like, oh, wow. I actually was smart at a young age. I actually did know what was happening. I wasn't allowed to have emotions. The other thing was he was constantly dumping our family's money stress on me. He was a lawyer. My mom was a doctor. They, quote, unquote, had it all. We lived in Brentwood, the right neighborhood. They drove Benzes. but. Oh, yeah. But the Benzes were repoed. The house was foreclosed upon. Like it was a boom and bust money in, money out environment where I couldn't go to the dentist, like the same dentist, because we were always like dodging a bill. Wow. And and that was part of how I got the message. Like, you're not worth anything. Like, 
we're going to get this bends, but we're not going to make it so that you can go to the same dentist consistently. Right. So with him, he's always like, I don't know how we're going to make it. Like we're doomed. Like we're all the time we're doomed. Mm -hmm. So from both of my parents, it was really rough. Um, but with my dad, I always loved him. And my mom abandoned me when I was 12. She kicked me out of the house and then that was that. And I barely. When were your parents divorced? When I was 12. During, yeah, like I was 12 and then a whole story happened and then my mom was like, peace, like, you know, go. And we haven't had a relationship since. So my dad was the only adult in my life, really. And what did he do? He was high all the time. He was smoking weed all the time. Oh. He never paid attention to me. That's where I got the weed from was his closet where the really good stuff was, honestly, put everyone else to shame. But it was a very difficult relationship. And around the time I was maybe like 27, he had like a catastrophic brain problem. He had a subdural hematoma. And I had to like rush him to the hospital, be in charge of his care, the whole thing. And I've never felt so alone in my whole life. You know, being at the hospital, my dad is potentially dying. There's a brain bleed. I don't have a mom. I don't have an aunt. I don't have anybody. Everybody's uh, estranged from everybody else. I don't have an adult at all. And that night in the hospital, I realized- You're the adult? I'm the adult. Right. I've done enough. I actually am prepared for this. I, my whole life was a bunch of crises to be endured. Right. If anybody could handle this, it's me. And that chapter was really hard to write just because when you go back to a I was so scared. I didn't want my dad to die, you know, I, especially because we had never had a good relationship. Mm -hmm. And now there would never be any chance. So I was so scared and I knew exactly what to do and I respected myself. But to go back to that moment is very hard to write. So it was the hardest chapter to write and one of the most rewarding for sure. Of course, experiencing that moment with your father in the hospital, did that change your perspective on your relationship or how you viewed him? Well, I'd love to tell you, yes, I'd love to say. And then our relationship got so much better, but it didn't. It, if anything, it got worse because he was a really bad patient. And I also had to take care of like having uh, people come to his house to take care of him and all that stuff. But the book coming out and my dad having to read the truth and that made a big difference because Aww. when he read that chapter, he was like – It opened his eyes. Yeah. And and so in a book like this, you have to go through legal review. So the lawyers make sure you haven't like fabricated your life. And the only person who could vouch for a lot of this was my dad. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm going to give this book to my dad where I'm like kind of not saying the nicest things. I gave it to him. I was so scared about what he was going to say. And he called me and he said, don't change a word. Everything in here happened and I'm so sorry. Wow. And that was the turning point. We have an excellent relationship now, but it wasn't until the truth was like out there. In front of him. Exactly. Looking him right in the face. But did you also feel when you wrote the we chapter about yourself numbing yourself, did you also then have a realization of why growing up always felt with your father like you weren't actually there. Hence, you said your father was smoking a lot of weed when you were yeah. growing up. So I, was, do you see the connection? Oh, yeah. That 
if you were numbing yourself, that means he was numbing himself. And that's why he wasn't all there. It wasn't because he didn't love you. He was just on drugs. Well, it was more than that. It was that he didn't know how to be a parent and he didn't know how to ask any questions and he was in a terrible place in his life. My dad is now 80. He started going to therapy two years ago when I I stopped talking to him during COVID. I was just like, enough. I can't handle your drama. And he started, and I write about this in Glow. Okay, so don't get me wrong. I love high-end luxury goods as much as the next basic bitch, but my wallet is never on the same page with me. That was until I found Quince. Quince is my go-to place for luxury essentials at prices within reach. Quince creates timeless classics that never go out of style. You'll have them in your closet for Ever. They have capsule wardrobes, must have like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters from $50, washable silk tops and dresses and flattering pants, making putting together any outfit that much easier. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes the saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. And I love that. I'm obsessed with them. I'm basically obsessed with all the silk tops that I've recently got from them since I've been trying to kind of change up my look. I'm going for my 30 and chic Sophia Richie, but within budget type of look. And that's why I've been shopping on Quinn's. And I feel like you guys should as well, because I am not killing the bank <laughs> while still dressing like Sophia Richie. You know what I mean? So get affordable luxury with Quinn's. Go to quince.com slash adulting for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. How crazy is that? That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash adulting to get free shipping and 365 day returns. And don't forget, you literally get between 50 to 80% less pricing than similar brands. So go ahead and check it out. That is quince.com slash adulting. Enjoy my Sophia Richie Queens. He went to therapy and then he got COVID. I'd stopped talking to him. I went to his side and he started saying things like, how are you? And I'm proud of you. And Aww. I was like, who, who yeah. is this guy? So yeah. this guy has changed his life radically. Like he is a completely different person than who he was. He has compassion. He wants to help me. He says things like, you're my daughter and I love you, which I never heard that. And so to anybody who's like, I can't change. People get old. You can't teach a dog, an old dog new tricks. Yeah. It's actually like, first off, scientifically, yes, you can. It's called neuroplasticity. You can retrain your brain, first yeah. off. But second of off, like if my dad, who is 80 years old and was a narcissistic curmudgeon most of his life, can change, I got full faith in everybody that if we want to change for the better, we can. If we want to change for the better, we can. The key word is if you want to change, you can. So you can't expect people to change if they don't want to. And they always will have to do it for themselves and not for other people. That's the biggest, I think, misconception that people have in general, where they expect someone else to change for them. Or someone seems like they're changing for them, but all it does in the end is grow resentment on the other end of the person yeah. that's 
feels forced to change for someone else and it never lasts yeah because they never try to do it for themselves yeah and if i can just add to that the other issue is people think when they don't say something that they're being nice like well i don't want to say anything because i'm being nice right or like i want to help this person and i'll just do their bidding because i just want to be a nice person yeah it's actually not nice because when you don't tell the truth, when you don't say how something affects you and then say, and here's a boundary, you don't give the other person a chance to change because they don't even know. So to me, boundaries, you know, boundaries gets like, it's like all over Instagram, whatever. Boundaries is simply saying, this is behavior I'll accept. This is behavior I won't accept. And then sticking to it, it's an act of love, you know, because it gives the person a chance. Okay, so speaking of boundaries. In your book, you emphasize the importance of setting boundaries as an act of self-love, like we just talked, which I love. So can you then share a story where setting boundaries had a profound impact on your life or relationships, whether it was with your, with your father or with someone yeah. else, maybe like a recent story? Yeah. And then what helped you learn from that experience? Yeah. Well, I'd say the number one is my dad. And just to circle back to something you said, he had to want to change. Right. So I stopped talking to him because- That was you setting the boundary? So I thought during the pandemic, well, I'll do these Zooms with my dad. And even though they make me feel terrible and like I want to die inside and like nobody's listening to me and I'm not here, I want to be nice. I just want to be nice. He's old man. Let me be nice. And what I realized was this is straight up killing me. I am now the most resentful of my dad I've ever been. That's not good for me and that's not good for him. For me just to be like low key, I'm going to kill you every time we talk. Yeah. You know, so I stopped talking to him. That was really scary for me because now I had no parent to talk to, but it was the thing. So the reason my dad went to therapy was to answer the question, why isn't my daughter talking to me? Wow. And what he wanted, he didn't want to be abandoned. He didn't. That was the first time he realized my value in his life, right? That's so sad. It's sad. And to me, I feel like the universe has given me, this is my gift. I had a shitty everything with my family. The universe was like, you know what, kid? You're going to have a dad. I think obviously the story resonates with me, daddy issues. But I think if anything I'm not even looking from the perspective of your feelings. It's more the reminder. Sometimes we look at someone else as the bad guy. Or yeah. How come you don't love me? And we don't realize that we don't understand maybe their childhood. And then yeah. to watch your own father who always acted so tough and loveless, like didn't want to hear about your feelings, all that for him to suddenly be the one to feel like the abandoned child. is So yes. you're like, right. You may be still a kid on the inside. You still haven't healed whatever yes. inner child you have going on that right now your daughter left you and that made you feel abandoned. Like there is a human being inside of there. There is yes. someone with feelings. You yes. do have emotions. Yeah. And he would say right after this all. So then we started talking again two years later when he needed help with COVID. Oh, whole two years. Yeah. Best two years. Best thing I could have done for him. Be- and he would say that to you now because- What he says is he's learning how to be a human now, that he went through his life scared, keeping people out, not in touch with his emotions, not wanting relationships in the passenger seat. And now he's realizing, wait, connections and people are amazing. And I have two amazing daughters. You know, that's not the outcome for a lot of people. That's why I really point out what you said. People don't change for you. They have to want to change. 
you can draw a boundary that doesn't mean they'll change. Mm -hmm. I feel like the universe gave me a gift of, you know, I don't know how many years I'll have a relationship with my dad, but now we've been speaking for two years. Best, best two years of my whole relationship. That's amazing. I guess sometimes the best gift you can give someone is to walk away. Yeah. That's a good lesson. It really was. And that's really cool because for many of my listeners who know my story pretty well, they're familiar with my relationship with my father where we didn't have one for until I was 24. But the only way I was able to save our relationship was by giving my father the love I needed from him. So it was by saying, I love you nonstop and being more compassionate with him. So that was only one solution. So it's cool that you now came on my podcast and you're able to present a second solution now for yeah. people who aren't able to do what I did with my father or people who have tried that method and it didn't work for them. It didn't change. Then it's like, okay, here's the other extreme end. Totally. <laughs> saying, I love you nonstop to just completely Peace. walking away. <laughs> Because to finally teach someone a lesson, because a yeah. lot of times you don't know what you have until it's gone. And yeah, and I think we forget that that you don't know what you have until it's gone. It's not just with lovers. It's family members. Those relationships are just as powerful. They're Absolutely. just as important. And sometimes, yeah, I mean, that's the thought of an 80-year-old, 78-year-old man feeling abandoned yeah. is heartbreaking. But yeah. also so beautiful that he was able to come to that realization at that age and he was able to say instead of saying well screw this she abandoned me then I don't need her then I'll, I deserve I want to be alone I don't need anyone because that's the path a lot of us take oh yeah. you don't want me fine then I don't want you but instead he said I'm going to make a change with myself which will then change my relationship with my daughter but it's going to start with me yeah beautiful I, I think I broke his heart open you know, like it was the first time that he could be tender about anything and finally admit that he had to go to therapy, that maybe there were some issues if he was this unhappy. Yeah. So exactly what you're saying. There's so many different methods to all of this and what works well, for one. We just have two now. <laughs> There's only two. two. There's only two. <laughs> one end, extreme end to the other extreme end. <laughs> I don't know the ones in the middle yet. I'll yeah. get back to you guys. Yeah. But now if mine didn't work, try her method. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Would you say that was your most personal turning point in moment in your life where you realized the significance of taking care of yourself and putting yourself mm. first? Or did you have another moment like that in your life? I have those moments all the time. Right. Okay. Because this work, as much as you want it to be like, okay, perf, done. So I wrote By Yourself the Fucking Lilies. It did really well. And I'm like, yeah, I fixed all my trauma and my life is amazing. Like, peace out world. Yeah. You know, like now I'm just going to have fun. And then immediately I was laid off from Comedy Central from this job that I had worked at for 12 years to the point where people would introduce me. They'd be like, Tara Schuster, Comedy Central, like it was my married last name. Right. I was my job. And I thought all my status was tied to that. They laid me off so hard, so fast. No like, we'll miss you, just bye. Right. A place I'd worked 12 years. And it was such a loss of identity and like kick in the teeth that I had to sort of like rebuild myself. So I feel like at every rock bottom, there's a moment where you're like, oh, shit, nothing can make me love me. I have to make me love me. But even this weekend, 
I was stressing out about a guy who hadn't texted me back yet. And I was Loser. like, well, he texted me like, by the way, like half an hour later, but I was like, oh, he hasn't texted me back yet. Like, I don't know what this means. Does he like me? What's going to happen? What's gonna do? And I got quiet and I was like, put a hand on my heart. And I always do this when I'm feeling stressed out. And I go, it's okay, sweetheart. I like talk to myself. Like I want like a perfect parent to talk to me. And I asked myself, like, what is this really about? And it was really about love. And I was able to tap into, and guess what? I love me no matter what. I'm not abandoning me. I love me. I have friends who love me. This doesn't mean anything. This is actually a memory of being scared of abandoned, being abandoned from my childhood. This text does not matter. And three years ago, I couldn't have done that. Five years ago, I couldn't have done that. So true. 10 years ago, oh my God, I couldn't have done that. But today I can like feel those things I used to feel. Like I'm not perfect, obviously. Like I still get upset and like a little reactive, but now I'm able to like pause and kind of see see it for what it is, which is a memory of abandonment, a memory of depression, Mm -hmm. a memory of anxiety. Right. Kind of pull myself out knowing that I love me and I will never abandon me. I think what's so funny with women in general is that you can find the most powerful women in the world who have accomplished so much. I mean, she wrote two best-selling books. She worked at Comedy Central do, covering so many huge shows. She's so She went to Brown. She's so well accomplished. But the minute a guy doesn't t- answer a text, that's it. That all goes out the window. And they're like, who am I? I don't know who I am. Like, will I ever be loved? Will I ever be good enough for anyone? And it's like, it's always <laughs> drives me insane. Yeah. It's the craziest part. Oh, it's infuriating. They completely forget who they are, their worth, oh. anything about them. I deserve nothing. I like start voice memoing people. What does this mean? Like, what do you think? And then of course my friends voice memo me back, but he has already texted me. Like he has, you're right. It's, uh, there are certain things that really like trigger that, like I'm never going to be loved kind of thing. Like why? I don't even want to text. Just call me. (laughs) I agree. Vulnerability has been a theme in both of your books. And it's also something that we discuss prior to us recording the podcast where I share with you my emotions. And then afterwards, I started doing that thing that I always do where I start to feel uncomfortable. (laughs) And because you said, oh, it makes me feel closer to you. And then I said, well, I don't like that. (laughs) I don't want to be closer to you. Not in a mean way, in a way that I genuinely get so uncomfortable if I ever cry in front of someone because... It makes me feel uncomfortable that that person feels closer to me. I I don't know why, but it makes me feel like they know something about me now that I didn't want them to know. Super silly. Not to put down myself for saying that's silly. That's just how I was feeling. That has to do with childhood stuff, whatever. Anyway, the point is being vulnerable is something powerful. It's not something because she was able to see a side of me that now she said I'm able to respect you more knowing that you have those emotions. And... Do you mind then sharing with us and with me a moment in your life when being vulnerable allowed you to connect with other people, like with myself Mm. earlier, like I did with you, on a deeper level, and then how that experience shaped your perspective on relationships? Oh, good question. Just like she felt more connected to me when I became vulnerable. Have you had that experience? Yeah, I definitely have. Well, both books are just like my soul laid bare, and I never try to look good. So... 
you know, they're very vulnerable, but not over sherry. There's a line you walk between being petty, being bitter and being honest, right? Like, so it's, it's sort of like a difficult line to, to tow. I think I do tow it really well. So both books I feel like are just like vulnerability sinks, but actually on Instagram, I had, um, egg retrieval surgery, mm-hmm. like, which is so that you can have babies at a later time. I didn't have a partner and I wanted like the youngest eggs available to me at that moment. And I had a horrible complication. And on Instagram, I want to be positive and like, you can be vulnerable. You can be this. And oh my God, my life is so joyous. Right. And so I like had all these posts about joy and like celebration because my sister was graduating medical school and all this stuff. And I was like, fuck this. I feel horrific. I feel like I'm in the worst pain of my life and like I'll never escape this. And I just put up a video being like, this is truly one of the top worst things I've ever been through. Why did nobody tell me that things could go wrong? Because no, but everyone was like, it's like going to the dentist. It's like getting your teeth removed. I'm like, I don't know what your teeth removal process was like, but this ain't mine. Right. And the amount of people who reached out to be like, oh my God, I went through the same thing. Nobody told me. The amount of people I really admired, people who are a few steps ahead of me, who just straight up FaceTimed me to check in. It was beautiful. And so for me, I always have to question, am I going to share this? Because in the book, by the time I've written something, I write something one year later. So I don't write anything fresh ever. So I have more perspective. Instagram, it's like happening in real life. But I found that by being myself and just being straight up about it, and it wasn't woe is me. It was just like, this sucks. So many people reached out and I felt like, I don't know, I felt like I helped them. Like I I felt like I showed them, here's another side to it, and they helped me. They were like, oh, we're right there with you in pain with you. Sorry, this is happening. So for all the flaws of social media, I actually, when I'm honest, that's when I build these relationships with people. And some of my like friendships Mm -hmm. have straight up come from there. So what was your complication? It's called uh, OHSS, which is basically you're overstimulated. So they take out the eggs. It was great. Fine. Done. Then my body kept producing hormones and kept producing liquid. So I gained like, I don't know, five to six pounds in two days after the procedure, Mm -hmm. which makes it hard to breathe. Like everything's pushing up. It's excruciating pain. They say it's rare. I have no idea. A friend of mine who also had it and who also had a baby without an epidural was like, this condition is much worse than having a baby without an epidural. It's very painful. Yeah, it is something the doctors don't tell you about afterwards. But up until then, it was easy breezy for you? No. <laughs> they they gave me 70 injections in a two-week period. So what you do is every other day you go for a blood draw. Like give blood draw. Then you're going to have to put three shots in your abdomen. And guess what? They're not just shots. They're full of hormones. So now you're going to be full on nutty with like, and if you don't have a boyfriend, you don't have a partner, like, so you're just going to be alone in your craziness. No, it sucked. I hired a nurse actually to come to my house because also you're supposed to become a chemist who can figure out how to put this shit in the needle. 
my sister, who is a straight up doctor, came over. She was like, well, I have no idea what to do and watched YouTube videos. So you tell me how I was supposed to do that when my doctor, my sister, who is a doctor, couldn't figure it out either. Mm -hmm. So it was costly. It was painful. It was annoying uh, to keep having to go into the doctor's office. And I wanted to make the best choice for future me. Because present me didn't know if I when wanted you get to have kids done? when I was 35. I'm 37 now. So two, two years, years ago. ago. Okay, yeah. Got it. Uh, pandemic times. So I was like, why not? It was actually because my insurance was going to expire and my insurance had a deal. Because so something the everyone that's listening should, because as you know, I have episodes on this. And if you, in case you miss them. Since I've frozen my eggs in the past as well, and I've discussed it, there are some companies, some of your jobs, your insurance will cover partial, partially of yeah, it or a lot exactly. of it. So definitely look into it with your jobs because you may not have to pay for all of it. Yeah, because it's extremely expensive Very and expensive. definitely a privilege to be able to do it, although not a privilege to feel it. I didn't know if I wanted kids or not, and I didn't want time to make the decision for me. So even though I think it sucked... I just wish someone would have been honest with me about like, yeah, this could really suck. I would have been more prepared, but I would do it again, you know, because I still don't know if I want kids. I agree with you. I think it's so interesting to listen to your perspective because I think sometimes I myself as open and raw as I am, sometimes I don't notice my need to tell myself everything's always okay and to put on a brave face for myself because I always felt the need to be there responsible one for everyone else's feelings since a child, even though I was so careless in other ways, like yeah. running away from home and piercing myself and things like that. I'm not scared of needles. So the needle part was very easy for me. And I did four to five injections a day for two Oof. weeks. And I would videotape myself thinking it's hilarious because I know that other people will like really fear the needle. So I would just just because it just doesn't hurt me. It doesn't bother me. So I would just stick the needle in me and just look straight in the camera <laughs> like a weirdo because I'm a Scorpio. And that's just what we love to do. We love to creep people out. I mean, I watch scary movies for fun before I go to bed when I live alone. So it's just for fun. When some women were irritated with me that I wasn't honest about the process, mm. I said, I am being honest. It's yeah. easy breezy. What are you talking about? And it's almost like the karma god. <laughs> came on me and said, yeah, it's so easy. You're you're making other women feel that it's so easy and making them feel crazy for thinking it's not easy. Okay, here we go. And guess what? I have PCOS where I have high estrogen, oh. which is many women have high testosterone. I have high estrogen, which means I overproduce eggs. The follicles, I produce over 50 of them. Doesn't mean that's oh. all the eggs, but it went yeah. all the way up my stomach. So the surgery itself, they had to scrape out all the way from the top. So what you described that you got afterwards. OHSS. I got as well. Oh, I'm sorry. So right after surgery, I asked the doctor, I said, and I'm very, I have very high pain tolerance. And I said, I think there's something wrong. Can I have some pain medication? And they said, no, you're good. You don't need, women go back to work within a day or two. Don't even worry about it. There's just should be good. no pain. So they like gaslight you to lit and you Google it and the Google gaslights you. Yeah. Because all the doctor research says women go back to work within two days. You, your body's fine. So I thought the hardest part was done. But then for three days, I couldn't sit or walk. 
So I was just in my bed, laying in my bed, bitter, because it would be the most excruciating pain to sit or to walk. Like the fact that I couldn't sit for three days is insane. Yeah. And I would just be in my bed, so bitter, and I had some pain medication left from a root canal that I had. And that's what pisses me off sometimes the most. Sometimes if I know that I'm getting special treatment because I have a following, mm. and the people are scared that I may oh. say something. Yeah. Because when the minute I texted my doctor, and I said, "You said I didn't medicate. I didn't mean I didn't need medication. I almost fainted. I threw up right after the surgery. Oh, I almost fainted. My friend had to carry me. I can't move now. For this is the second day I can't move. I told you there's something wrong. Yeah. You gave me no medication. Suddenly he was just like, um, I'll prescribe you this and this and this, or go get this. And I was like. I already have this for my root canal. He's like, okay, okay, uh, please take uh, two of those a day. Oh, now, okay. Now you care. Because I have because you're scared. Like, what about the patients who don't have a follow-up? Yeah. Are you guys just gaslighting them that they're crazy? So that's when I learned the comp. And then afterwards, my PCOS was going like this now. And I couldn't get my hormones to go back to normal because right. all the injections did affect me. And I had to get back on birth control because of it. They don't tell you any of this. And also I had the same thing. I said, two days later, I was like, something's wrong. I called them. I'm like, something's wrong. I don't feel well. And they're like, don't worry. And I actually said, do you think this could be OHSS? And they said, no, because your estrogen levels don't show that. Like I had totally normal estrogen. And I was like, okay. But when it came, became hard to start breathing, I said, I don't really care. I'm showing up at your office and you're taking a look at me. And lo and behold, I'm like on the, um, the ultrasound table yeah. and the woman doing it goes, hold on, I'll be right back. She leaves the room, comes in with two doctors. I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Something's awry. And my doctor goes, well, I've never seen anything like this, which- First yeah, off, is right. That, but is that what you never want to hear? I want to be average. And, and, <laughs> yeah. In any medical scenario, make me average. But I was also like, I don't want to like curse her out right now. But I was also like, I fucking told you, you didn't take me seriously at all. So I have been suffering for no reason. I totally agree with you. The pain of women is not taken seriously, particularly. And this one thing, this egg retrieval is treated like... No biggie, you'll be fine. And no one talks about afterwards when I start, and you're right, because afterwards when I started posting, when I finally posted about that part, about the OHSS or about the my hormones being out of whack afterwards and the fact that I, because I, when you Google about for your mental health, everything seems normal. Yeah. Two to three days, you go back to work, nothing, blah, blah, blah. I mean, maybe you can gain weight, you're bloated, then you're yeah. fine. But I had to go through, I had to finally, I thought I was going crazy. Yes. Because I remember towards the end with the egg retrieval stuff, I, my thoughts were not making sense to me. My friend was trying to be there for me because she was staying with me in the house. And I'd be like, no, I'm fine. And then I go in my room and I was like, no one cares about me. No one cares mm. what I'm going through. Like no one gives a shit. I'm all alone in this. It was just the thoughts were not making sense. And I was thinking I'm going crazy. Went through Reddit. <laughs> and on Reddit, I Googled depression, be feeling suicidal during egg retrieval. Yeah. And suddenly it's like so many <laughs> forms. You see so many women. I'm going through my egg retrieval right now. I can't stop crying at lunch. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just finished it. It's been three weeks since. I'm still so depressed. I feel suicidal. And I'm like, oh my God, these are, oh my God, like I'm so validating. I'm not yeah. crazy. Yeah. Because if you go on all the regular doctor forms, there's not a word about it. So you think, 
oh, there's something wrong with me. Exactly. I must, it must be in my head. That's the thing when it comes to depression, all that stuff. It's, it's the most isolating club because you think it's just you. And it's yeah. even worse when these are real medical situations where people, you would think you, people would take better care of women's mental health. And instead it's just, well, if you're physically fine, then nothing else matters. And not even, it's just you're self-reporting your pain. So we right. don't care. Like we looked at the chart and you look fine. Whatever you're saying, <laughs> you must be crazy. Bye. <laughs> Enjoy. You know, As, like why? Like, yeah. Right? <laughs> like it's mind boggling how it happens. And also just to you and any woman who has had egg retrieval or any kind of fertility thing, you are a warrior. That shit was hard. It like messes with your mental health. I don't think we talk enough about that that all of these procedures we do, yes, we want to give ourselves choices. And yes, there's so many women who can't do these things. And that is very sad and terrible. And we need to do a better job of being like, wow, women are really in pain. They're doing the work. Their husband isn't getting like 70 shots in the stomach. No. They're doing this all on their own, all the pain. And then they meet up with doctors who are like, I don't know. I think you're fine. You know, like it's a wild system. And I just give so much credit to anybody who's even dealt with a shade of this. Yeah. Yeah. It was even eye opening for me because a lot of times when when we don't experience something someone else is experiencing, yeah. we, we don't sometimes don't even realize how much we don't support other women. It's totally. not, I don't know if it's uh inner mis misogynist thing, whatever it is. Well, I never experienced it. So there's no way you're experiencing it until finally I experience something and suddenly go, oh shit. It's oh my so God, true. you're so right. Why do we do that? There's a saying, it's only a small procedure when it's not happening to you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe we're just bad at compassion or we're taught to, I think women are taught to diminish pain that well, whatever. I should just be able to get through this, get through this, that we're told that so many times, especially with like childbirth and all those things, that it's just now a part of our operating system. Like you can get through this, you can get through this, don't complain, that maybe we have an automatic like don't complain. To, then to other women exactly. as well. You're being a crybaby. If I, I, I would be fine. I'd be fine. Yeah. So just you're I read the internet. The internet said you'll be at work in two days. <laughs> yeah. Like what's wrong with you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're literally doing what we get so irritated when yeah. men sometimes do to us. Well, I can't talk to you when you're crying. Ugh. Oh, it'll be like, you made me cry. I mean, you're always crying. Yeah. So how can I take you seriously? Well, you're the one making me cry. Yeah. yeah. I didn't actually used to say that. I was like, well, I'm, you made me cry. And he's like, well, you're always crying. Then stop like, making why? me cry. <laughs> wow. Can't figure out what's the yeah. reason. There's one specific reason that's always making me cry. Oh, yeah. Common denominator here. Yeah. You. <laughs> Your books in general are filled with a lot of practical advice for self-improvement. What would you say? What What is one piece of advice that you have that you believe that could potentially be able to truly transform someone's life? I'm so glad you asked the question and I have a passionate response, which is journaling. So journaling, now if, if you're rolling your eyes right now about journaling, I challenge you okay. because journaling, there is so much science behind how simply writing down how you feel, labeling emotions, putting your story on paper, 
what is the act of journaling? It's saying, I am important enough to record my life. There are so many mental health benefits for depression, for anxiety, for physical ailments, because you're lowering your cortisol levels, right? As you write, you're de-stressing yourself. You're helping your nervous system. Thus you heal faster. And this isn't me like being like, I read this off the website of my crystal healer. This is like, I went to the National Institutes of Health and read the study. So there's so much science behind it. It's also just cathartic because you can get in touch. We were talking about how I didn't know how I felt. Part of it was that I only had the words good, bad, sad, tired, busy to describe my life. Right. I didn't know any other emotions. So in Glow in the Fucking Dark, I actually give you an emotion wheel that shows you what emotions you could possibly have. That guy. And like, it's really another scientifically proven thing. If you can label your emotions, that just feels good. Second thing it does is it gives you more options. So I had a ex-boyfriend who... I wasn't allowed to say this in the book, but like he was straight up a con artist. Like there's no way. He was like a wealthy con con artist, which made it like very strange. And I always felt like, am I crazy? Like ultimate gaslighting situation. And I use that word very specifically. That is what it was. And I went to my psychiatrist and I was like, I am waking up every single morning full body anxious. Like I wake up and I'm anxious and I don't, I don't have anything to be anxious about. Why? And she's like, well, tell me a little more. And I'm like, well, I'm dating this guy and he says he's a multimillionaire and that I shouldn't work and that he's going to take care of me. But then his car broke down in the desert and then he asked me on Venmo for $1,200 and then I gave it to him. And then he accused me of wanting to- Is it the Tindler swindler? It was not. (laughs) It was not he, another one. But I'm going on and on and on about like, And I feel like I don't know what reality is anymore because he's telling me one thing, but then he's doing another. Like, I have no idea. And I'm I'm like mad about it and I feel weird. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't think you're anxious. I think you're furious. Oh. It was like, ooh, like truth bomb. Whoa, I never thought of that before. And so I could go to the emotion wheel. So a lot of us feel anxiety. We think we feel anxiety. Right. But we are covering up an emotion that is too uncomfortable for us to feel. And what hurts that tension is us pushing down that primary emotion. So when you push down fury, you feel bad. Right. It's like a shaky bad, right? That's not anxiety. That's you ignoring and pushing down how you actually feel, which is fury. So- Once I knew what I was actually feeling, like as soon as she said it, I was like, yeah, I'm fucking mad, right? I'm more than mad. I'm furious. I was able to, in my journal, kind of like parse it out, think about it and be like, I need to dump this guy now. I'm not crazy. He is acting wildly and I don't have to deal with this. So when we can actually, in our journals, actually see how we really feel, not how we want people to perceive us, we're able to make different choices and be less reactive. So for me, journaling, it is a free, almost free. You don't need to have any expertise to do it. And the reason I think on, and now I'm going to go into a conspiracy theory, the reason I think that it's not prescribed as your front line of defense on mental health is because nobody can make money off of it. This is not a forever pill. Oh my God, that's so funny. And it's associated with women and we debase everything. It's like, well, you're a 16-year-old girl and you're going to be on your journal. (laughs) Like nobody can make enough money off of you to 
tell you to do that. And so I'm just out here screaming in these streets. That's so true. You know, try journaling. The other one within your journaling is a gratitude practice, which sounds cheesy, horrific, annoying, I'm aware. But a gratitude practice, just recognizing what you do have really opens the aperture of your life and can help you own your story. Like, and in a non, just to be clear in a non-toxic positivity way, like I'm not happy my childhood happened to me. In fact, I don't want that to have been my story, right? Like I'm not denying that at all. And I can see some of the things that I can be grateful for in it. I'm glad, not glad that your child happened to you, but I feel that it makes it, you're exactly the person that you are today because of your childhood. Totally. I'm, I don't regret anything that has happened yeah. to me growing up, even the things I pretended didn't happen. <laughs> Some of the things I've shared with you in my writing, yeah. like yeah. you know, where yeah. I blocked it out for so yeah. long. But I really liked what you mentioned with the labeling emotions. I think there's so much importance to that. And that definitely gave me like a ding, ding, ding moment as well. Cause you're right. Until we label what we're feeling, that's how sometimes we feel so lost. Cause yes, we think, oh, I must be angry oh, I'm not angry. I'm just feeling like someone overstepped my boundaries. That's where it's coming from. Or I must be anxious. Like you said, anxious, but really it was, was, you were furious. You were going like this, not from anxiety from your life. You're going like this because someone is, you know, cheating. Yeah, treating me like horribly. And I have every right to feel furious. Making you going crazy and you're furious because you know you're being lied to. You know there's something off. Yeah. And it's so true because, for example, for the longest time, I wouldn't get my license. When I would get behind the wheel, I would be too scared. I thought I was afraid of driving. So I label my emotion as fear. Yeah. Because I thought I was just afraid of driving. So I wouldn't drive until one day I didn't journal. So sorry for saying that. So this is about labeling emotions, not about journaling. I spoke to either a therapist or to whomever. And suddenly I had this epiphany and realization that it, it was my my emotion wasn't about fear of driving. It was because I am such a control freak and I have the need mm. to control everything. And when I get behind the wheel, I can't control the people around me. And there's so many people around me driving and I'm not in control of what they're doing. And that gives me the anxiety to be like, oh my God, I can't, this is unsafe. So it was never my fear of driving. Right. It was my obsession with needing to be in control. And then my need to finally understand I have to release control because yeah. I have no power over other people. But as long as I can control what's happening behind the wheel, yes. just be alert, never not be on my phone, which completely look down at anyone who has, if if my job is to be on my phone and I'm able to not text and drive, so can you. Oh, I love that. That's yeah. the PSA of the century. Get Thank off you. our phones, people. I, I'm never, Good well, I'm never you. on my phone when I'm with people and talking yeah. to them. I agree. My biggest pet peeve when people are on their phone, when they're hanging out with me, I'm like, I stop, I stop speaking. If I'm having a conversation with someone, they get on their phone, I just stop talking. And then usually they will look up and then I'll say, well, I just want to make sure you're finished. (laughs) I actually did that two days ago with my friend. Good. I love it. it. Because I just don't like it. Because I'm always thinking if I'm able to not be on my phone, even though it's my job. My literal job. You can literally for five seconds be present. Yeah. Just like you should be present when you're driving. But yeah, once I realized I can be in control of my own car, I was able to get behind the wheel. But for the longest time, I thought I was... Yeah. Scared of driving and being scared of driving to me felt like there's no solution. So I would never be able to drive again. It's And when you use the word solution, that's what this is all about. Is it 
First off, it feels physically good to understand how you actually do feel. Second off, it opens up all these solutions that would not be available to you if you didn't understand what was actually happening. So in the book, there's an emotion wheel. And I just, if you did anything, just ask yourself, how am I feeling today? And and if you don't buy my book, cool, Google emotion wheel, but just do it. Like, please do it because it is, like you said, it gives you other options for how to solve something. You constantly emphasize the importance of taking responsibility for our own happiness, our own well-being. So how can someone out there begin to shift their mindset towards self-improvement, even in challenging circumstances? Yeah. Well, I think, so there's this whole, like, the thing I'd rail against is toxic positivity. Like, everything happens for a reason. And like, find the silver lining. I got robbed a few years back. (laughs) I don't know why I laughed. I don't know what that was. At my pain of robbery. (laughs) I've been robbed before too. But go on. So I got robbed and that didn't happen for a reason. Please (laughs) give me back my shit. Like I want all my shit back from that experience. So you didn't see a reason. No, (laughs) there was no, and there was no silver lining at all. It just straight up sucked, right? (laughs) Yeah. So I don't believe in toxic positivity. Oh, your best friend got cancer. Let's find the silver lining. Like, no, thank you. Okay. I feel bad that I'm overly toxic positivity. Not always, but when I've been robbed recently, I tried to see the silver lining and I said, one, I was robbed the least because I was the least cunty person in the house Uh, uh on the brand trip I was on. So that was the silver lining. B, I was there when the robbers were there. And they left because they heard me. I was fighting with myself because I was breaking up with a guy and I was cussing him out out loud to myself. So they heard it and they ran out. So for me, the silver lining was, wow, God protected me that night and I was alive. But it's funny when I hear you speak. Yeah, I don't feel that way at all. I was like, here I am. Because I was just trying to find the silver lining. Things are just things. They will always come and go, but at least my life is good. And then the cancer (laughs) thing also made me laugh because I was thinking, holy shit, when I was younger, I must have been such an asshole because my best friend's mother got cancer. She passed away. Mm. It was very tough cancer. But I tried to help them with silver lining. One of my silver lining was, you know, sometimes they say that maybe God was protecting you because instead of giving it to one of the children, <laughs> protected you and he gave it to your mother. Oh, no. And I can look you back now, say that like to a 17-year-old yeah. is probably, fuck you. And like, here I am being like, so be happy. It's not you. Like... <laughs> like the worst thing to say so sometimes you think you're being positive but it's like sometimes keep that to yourself now I know my friend her father's house burned to the ground and Mm -hmm. I was like well he has a chance to start anew (laughs) and like we've all done that right and then once I got robbed that was the moment when I realized oh my god I should have never said that to Julia I am such an asshole (laughs) and I called her and I was like I can't believe I said that to you and she was like yeah it wasn't the best I used to be so toxic positive that one time when I bought this house and I could barely afford it and I was regretting buying it within the first six months because I live in the hills I'm uh, in a high chance of fire, whatever it's called. My area, the insurance is insane for like fire stuff, but we had to evacuate when I just moved in here and there was a bit high chance that my house was about to burn down because there was a fire in the hills. And I just had no emotions about it, completely disassociated. And I sat down in my bathroom knowing I'm supposed to evacuate. And I said, well, you know what? 
this house was too big for me. <laughs> maybe maybe this is a blessing. Maybe if it burns to the ground, it'll <laughs> be like, a silver lining. Maybe there maybe it's a blessing because this house is too big for me and it is probably better for me to be in a smaller space. That is what I'm used to. So in a way, it's fine. And I was just like, I couldn't believe that I got to that point where I had to yeah. lie to myself. Yeah. So don't go to that point. Because you know what? It sucks. By the way, you guys, when ship, when houses burn down, when businesses burn down, it's not, well, if they have insurance, they'll be fine. Insurance will pay you a quarter or yeah. half or a quarter of what you paid for your property. And then while you have to use only that money to try to rebuild your house or your your business, which you can't because it's not for what you paid for, you still have to live somewhere else. So you'd be paying double. So you would never be able, now you'd be stuck with a property that you can't afford that you still have to pay a mortgage on. Yeah. The craziest thing about mortgage, because I was like, well, maybe I'll just fucking die in this fire. And, oh and then I just, I found out mortgages are basically the same way as student loans. Did you know student loan, if you die, it goes to whoever is your family member. They have to pay it off. What? That's I didn't student, know that. I used to be an accountant. Holy so moly. So that's, that's the beauty of student loan. It <laughs> just continues on. It's, it's a gift that keeps on giving and it will go into your family member. Same thing with mortgages until they repossess your house. So it's basically, even if you alive yourself, whatever people say it now, your family will remember you for the rest of your, their life too because they'll have to pay your debt. Even if you file bankruptcy, yeah. student loans don't count. These are ridiculous systems. Pretty insane. Every part of this is making Unless that has changed since I was an accountant, but that's yeah. what it used to be the yeah. rule when I was an accountant. Yeah. Well, so what I'm going to answer, somebody getting back yeah. on the road, like they want to start. First off, I would forgive yourself and feel okay for feeling bad. You don't have to feel fine. One thing I write about is it really doesn't matter if you went through like a big trauma with a T or like a capital T or a small trauma. If something happened to you and you are still affected by it, you deserve to feel bad. You're allowed to feel bad no matter the size of the thing because whatever you don't deal with, it deals with you. It does not go away. It's just in the back of your mind. It's like an operating system where it's sucking energy. Even if you're not using whatever that tab that's open, it's there and it's sucking energy from you. So the first thing is just to admit, I need to work on something. I've got something to admit. I would be as kind as I possibly can be. And it doesn't, it's not my fault. I haven't dealt with it yet. And now I'm going to. In both of the books, I basically just offer like spaghetti on a wall. I don't know what's going to work for you in particular. Here's like 20 stories of things that worked for me. I try to make them funny so that they're not like, because this could all be like truly the worst. Depressing. You know, you know and yeah. I have a whole- It's like watching yeah. This Is Us. Yeah. Reading through This Is Us. I, I don't like that show because no. for me, it's, it's like they try every episode- finally there's finally some silver lining they're like we bought a house and you're like finally and they're like but grandma's dying from cancer and she's gonna die today you're like come on you didn't have to add Give that in a break like yeah it's never a good no. moment for them so like in this book i talk about in glow in the fucking dark i talk about my kind of lifelong struggle with suicidal ideation and i try to make it funny by talking about the hot rabbi i dated mm. like it's a whole rom-commy chapter until it's like <laughs> wait a minute that's not what i'm gonna talk about at all now yeah. we're gonna talk about suicidal ideation mm. so come with me on this ride i would just look at the books and see like which one of these has i promise it has something for everyone i agree 
And I like what you're saying about dealing with it before it deals with you. Because also, if you don't deal with it, figure out your emotions. A lot of times, because you're talking about, you know, allow yourself to be sad or whatever. Sometimes people think that that means that they can then treat others like shit. Oh, yeah. So, but when you're treating others like shit, that means you're not dealing with it. Because if you dealt with it with yourself, it wouldn't be spilling onto everyone else around you and it wouldn't be spilling in your life. And normally when people walk around being mean or cruel, that's not when you should expect compassion from others. Because if you're being a piece of shit to other people, they're not going to be their weight. Usually people are going through their own stuff to, they don't have the time to sit around and think, okay, should I be there for this person? Because yeah. obviously hurting. So instead that's you spilling onto everyone else. So when she talks about understand your emotions or you know deal with it by saying, you know what? I'm going to be an asshole. If I go out tonight, I'm probably going to cry and I'm going to be an asshole. So I need to be honest with myself that if I'm going to be bitter more than everyone else's time, I'm going to call my therapist or I'm going to journal. Yeah. Because journaling is free. And then I can label my emotion. (laughs) Exactly. Look at the emotion wheel. Label emotions. And for everybody who's like, self-care is so like selfish and like whatever, hashtag like spa day or whatever. Like they have all these thoughts about what self-care is. Authentic self-care when you're actually paying attention to how you feel, owning your story and bringing yourself the nurturing you need is always community care. And we have gotten so fucked up about this like because we forget that we are a part of our communities. We are not little islands and our behavior does affect everyone. Whatever you put out in the world, it affects your sister. It affects your parents. It affects the 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 barista who's just trying to do his job. It How you act and interact affects everybody. So if you actually want to change the world, like today, let's not talk about changing the world in 10 years. How about today, get in touch with how you actually feel and start healing those things so that you show up as a much better community member. Like we can do that. I love that. Yeah. If you want to change the world today, start by changing yourself. Absolutely. Because you're most likely a bad person. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> to close this off, what's the best advice that you've ever gotten? Not advice that I've given you. Obviously, yeah. that would just be unfair. So from someone else. It's going to be hard then. Yeah, I know. Um, can it be from me? Can it be advice I've given myself? Yes. Okay. This I'm going to do it narcissistic. Then. I'm kidding. It, it is. No, I'm kidding. It's a lot bit narcissistic. Yeah. I'm owning it. It came to me. So actually, the universe gave it to me. But you know how writers, they like... Well, the book just came to me, just flowed out of me. That's, so true. That's not my experience of writing. My experience of writing is like, like fuck, it, why did I? No, but like for you, you for you, it may be. My experience is like, I'm never inspired. I always have to like chain myself to a desk and just like get out these words. The only time something just came to me was this phrase, which is life is not a series of crises to be endured, it's to be enjoyed. Because until I heard that, I really thought that I just needed to get through my life, that I would be jumping from one stone, one catastrophe to the next. But when I realized, whatever you think about God, the universe, whatever, I'm not here just to suffer. There's no way that the, you know, we're all made of stardust, like scientifically for a fact. There's no way that fucking stardust put me on this planet just so my life can suck. It's just not possible. So... None of us, we're not here to endure crisis to crisis. We're here to enjoy and we have to figure out how. And I think that's the ultimate act of gratitude for being here at all is to enjoy this life because there are a lot of people who can't. 
who don't have the opportunities you have, who cannot enjoy their lives. So the ones who can, we better do it up. Right. I love that. That's really good. Okay, where where can people find you? So Instagram, I'm Tara Schuster. And then my newsletter, uh, just Google Tara Schuster newsletter or I'm on Substack. Instagram or the newsletter and the books are sold everywhere. Yeah, so there's Glow in the Fucking Dark and then there's also Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies. You and your course words. <laughs> Me, I'm sorry. Gave it the R rating. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Tara and don't forget to buy her books. I will also include everything in the description. So it'll be quicker for you to find her to order her books. And I hope you have a beautiful rest of your week. Bye.